Father, that is true whether we recognize it or not in our day to day. You are indeed the sustainer of all life. The very fact that our hearts are beating right now, that we're breathing, that we're able to speak, that we're able to do anything, let alone have ears to hear what your spirit will say through your word tonight, is because you are you are all in all. You are holy. And we give you praise and thanksgiving. Now, now give us ears to hear and eyes to see what your spirit is saying to us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, go ahead and take a seat. And again, thank you for being here tonight at uh, Epiphany. Uh, tonight we're looking at a parable of Jesus. And I'll just be honest. I mean, the I think the parables are my favorite part of uh, the Gospels. I just, I mean, I contributed to a book on the parables. It's something that I've loved to dissect for years. And tonight's parable from Jesus, found in Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, is up there as one of my favorites. Because as Jesus is so prone to doing through these stories, he sort of turns our whole idea about how God operates in his world upside down. And so with that, by way of little introduction, let's go ahead and hear Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, or 9 a.m., he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour, that would be noon, and the ninth hour, three, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, that would be five o'clock, an hour before the thing was to shut down, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last, up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received the denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last only work one hour. And you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you, Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. And breathe. So before I became a full-time pastor at the ripe age of 29 years old, uh, to get through school and to provide for my very young family, I basically worked every kind of job in every industry known to man in order to make ends meet. For a little while, I worked as a fry cook at a fast food restaurant called Carl's Jr. 
You might know it better out here as Hardee's if you're maybe from Pennsylvania. It's, you know, you've seen those there. They're the same, basically the same place, owned by the same people. It wasn't a very glorious job. I didn't care for it too much, but I did it. I worked in construction, various odd jobs. I was never, uh, never went very far in it. Just was kind of the grunt on the job site. I, I drove a truck for a number of years. That was probably my favorite job that I did. I still every once in a while fantasize about driving a truck when I get older. I've told my wife, Missy, that when we get older, the retirement plan is for us to get on the road and drive around the country. And she has uh, responded by saying no. So, you know, what are you going to do? But, uh, but I, I did really enjoy that job, probably more than any other job. Uh, I owned and operated a vending machine business twice, once in California, where I'm from, and once in Minnesota while I was in seminary. I worked for UPS, loading packages out of an airport hangar. I worked for the city of Rancho Cucamonga, my hometown, repairing roads. And I worked as a nurse's assistant at a home for disabled people. But perhaps, perhaps my most substantial job before I became a pastor was working as a manager at a building materials production facility. Basically what we did was make artificial stone veneer for homes. And that meant that there was an awful lot of pouring concrete all day long. My job was to oversee the crew and, yes, make schedules and basically constantly, over and over and over again, pour concrete into molds, watch them dry, create the finished product, and then do it again and again and again and again. And part of my job as the manager there was sometimes being a part of the hiring process. And, you know, what was the purpose of the hiring process and the purpose of all the work? Well, it was the purpose of most business. In the final analysis, it was to make money. We hired people that would contribute to the bottom line so that we could make a profit and get at least a little bit more wealthy. And generally speaking, that's kind of the big idea of most business practices. But not all businesses have that as their aim. Because in our story today, we meet a business owner, specifically a vineyard owner, I mean, he's running Kingdom Winery, let's say, that seems to run his business in a very cockamamie way. Of course, we pick up on the fact, pretty obviously, at the beginning of the parable, in case you didn't, that the vineyard owner here represents God. And so what we're going to end up seeing from this parable is a picture of how it is that, that God wants to present himself running the business of his kingdom. There's a few things I noticed from the text. First thing, I, I noticed that, that the owner of this winery, this kingdom winery, is constantly going out and grabbing new hires. Constantly throughout the day. You notice that? Starts off at the beginning, probably 6 in the morning, gets a crew, brings them to the vineyard. Apparently he doesn't have enough, so he goes out at 9, gets a crew, brings them to the vineyard. Same thing at 12, same thing at 3, and even an hour before the job is going to shut down, he grabs more people for work at the vineyard. And i got to tell you, this is really weird for a business owner. This is strange behavior. I mean, why would he do it? Why would he need so many workers throughout 
the day. Well, I suppose it, it seems to make sense anyway that maybe it was just busy. Maybe he really had a huge order to get out and he needed to get as much wine made as possible. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe he didn't have enough people stomping grapes. And so all these guys were sent out to stomp the grapes. Who knows? But we're at least not unfamiliar with the idea of sort of big hiring, you know, during certain seasons of the year. You think about what happens during Christmas time in this country, where, you know, let's say in October, November, suddenly there's seasonal hiring. And, and basically, if you can fog a mirror, you can get a job somewhere, stocking shelves or something like that. And you don't really have to have much by way of qualifications. They just need somebody to fill a void in the meantime for all the busyness that is coming their way. That could be it. It could be that there's just so much work to do in the vineyard and he needs people to fill spots. Well, since this vineyard owner is representing God, we should ask us, or ask ourselves, what does this tell us about God? Well, I guess it tells us right up until the very end, God is still actively recruiting people to join his vineyard, too. By the power of the Spirit, through the preaching of His Word, God sends His church out still today, saying to the world, Come, join us at the vineyard. There's room for you. He's got a secure position for you with benefits and perks that you can't even believe. He's even preparing a place for you to live on that beautiful land of His. Just come and see. He wants you to be part of the team. That's the God that we often are presented with in the parables. And it really is a fantastic message that we get to bring to the world. God, Lord of heaven and earth, creator of all things, the one who sustains your very breath, wants you. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've come from, no matter how much you've fallen short of your own standards, let alone his, yes, that's what the message of Jesus is. What did he say his mission was? I've come to seek and save the winners. No. The lost. My job here, my job, Jesus says, is to seek people and bring them to the vineyard. To bring them into right standing with God. And yet I want to go back to that assumption that I just made that God is recruiting people because there's just so much work to be done. Again, that could be, maybe that's part of it. But upon closer examination of the story itself, I'm not so sure. Because the second thing I notice about this business owner's way of doing business is he tends to make a habit out of hiring lazy employees. Maybe the first crew that God, the vineyard owner, hires is a real great group of hard workers. That could be. But we don't really know since the text doesn't give a descriptor of them. But the text does give a descriptor twice, same word, of the rest of the people that he hires. And they're called idle. Now that word in the New Testament, the Greek word for idle, is used eight times total. Each time it is negative. Sometimes it's translated careless. Other times it's translated, like by Peter in his second epistle, useless. And 
Paul uses the word in Titus 1.12 and it's translated lazy. Now I mentioned earlier that I used to be part of the hiring process at one of my previous jobs. In order to get hired at that job, because it was, I mean, it was hard work, basically, I mean, one didn't have to, um, well, they didn't have to have much of an education. You didn't even have to have a diploma to get work there. You didn't have to burnish uh, or furnish a resume for me. Frankly, you didn't even need to speak or read the same language as your fellow employees. I mean, basically, when it all came down to it, there was one reason for us to hire you. Would you work hard? Would you do the best you could with the job before you each day? And if we felt after a brief interview of you that you would, you'd have the job. And I suppose, I mean, with any job out there, that's what any manager would want to know. Are you going to do your best? Are you going to try hard? Are you going to be a good worker? But what does this business owner do? He gets the idle, the useless, those avoiding work, those who were playing video games in their jammies until noon. Welcome to the team. Those who just decided to hang out and smoke cigs with their friends until three because they just didn't really feel like going to the marketplace. Come on in. Those who maybe were sleeping off last night's binge and were still hungover and didn't get out to the marketplace until five, an hour before work is to end. You're going to be a great asset at Kingdom Winery. This all leads me to believe that, that maybe, maybe the primary purpose for their recruitment wasn't because of all the work to be done, but because, for some odd reason, the vineyard owner just wants as many people as possible enjoying his vineyard with him. And yeah, maybe in the process, there's work to be done. That sounds like the God revealed to us in the rest of Scripture. That sounds like the God we serve. He doesn't choose us for the skills that we bring to the table. He hasn't made Christians out of people that can bring something good enough for him to, to find useful. No, he, he takes lazy, idle, useless, seemingly messed up people as we see in the life of Jesus. And the only reason I can think of he does that is because God is in the business of recruiting you, not for what you can do, but simply for you. Because, as Scripture says, he loves you and wants you to enjoy all he has provided you for you in the day. Remember, it is his love John 3.16 says that motivates the sending of the Son on our behalf. I'm reminded of a story I've told before that displays, I think, the kind of love that's being talked about here. 
It comes from a woman named Marianne Bird. She was born with multiple birth defects. She's deaf in one ear, a cleft palate, a disfigured face, crooked nose, lopsided feet. As a child, Marianne suffered, of course, not only the physical impairments, but also the mental just agony and emotional damage that could come at the hands of other children and at the words of other children. Constantly teased for the way she looked and the way she talked. One of the worst experiences at school that she reports was the, the day of the annual hearing test. Perhaps some of you have done what she did there. Uh, you know, the child would go up to the teacher and the teacher would have them cover one ear and then she would whisper something in the other ear and the child would have to repeat what was said to them and then they'd do it other side and the teacher would say some sort of mundane phrase, you know, something like, the sky is blue, or you have new shoes, and then you'd be forced to repeat it. Well, well, in order to get around the fact that she couldn't hear in one ear entirely and didn't want to be embarrassed for that, Marianne would sort of cup her ear or, uh, with, with her hand so that she could still kind of hear and then repeat back what the teacher said. One year, Marianne was in the class of Miss Leonard, and, and she really, really adored Miss Leonard, as did most of the other students. She was just one of these teachers that had a very special gift. And the day of the dreaded hearing test came, and Marianne was absolutely afraid of going up there, and so she did her trick. She cupped her good ear. Miss Leonard leaned forward to whisper, and I'll let Marianne pick up the narrative here. I waited for those words which God must have put into her mouth. Those seven words which changed my life. Miss Leonard did not say the sky is blue or you have new shoes. What she whispered was, I wish you were my little girl. That falls in line with the God that's represented to us in the parable. And in all the parables, the one who goes out and looks for the lost sheep, the one who welcomes the, the prodigal, wasteful son home, the one who hires all day long and every day lazy, incompetent, seemingly useless people. But this vineyard owner isn't done with his utterly strange business practices because, well, he ends up paying everyone the exact same amount. You may have noticed that in the parable, when it's time to pay out the workers' wages, he has the people that had come last receive their wage first, and they receive a full day's wage. That's what a denarius was back then, a whole day's wage. And of course, I'm sure they're ecstatic. Dude, we were only here for like 48 minutes, and I'm getting paid a full day. That's awesome. And I'm sure initially the people that have been working for 12 hours grinding it in the hot sun must have been looking at that going, dude, I'm getting 12 days worth of wages right now. I hit the jackpot. But of course, if you were listening, you know that that does not happen. As the people who have worked longer throughout the day come up to receive their wage, they get paid the same thing, a denarius for them, a denarius for the person who's only been there 48 minutes. And I got to tell you, I mean, basically... God is being shown to break labor law. I mean, 
We wouldn't fly for this if it was our job. I've, I've been in hourly positions before, and I can remember when it, it seemed like, at least to me, that they didn't count all my hours on my paycheck, and I was not afraid to complain and bring notice to this. I understand why we're told they grumble. Interestingly enough, and not coincidentally, the word grumbled there is the same word used to describe what the Pharisees always do when Jesus goes in and eats with tax collectors and sinners. They grumble. It's the same word used to describe the Israelites in the wilderness with Moses. They grumbled. At this, they're grumbling at the seeming unfairness of God that would give the same reward, the same payment to somebody who would laze around all day binging on Netflix, to them who have been with him since they were born, since they were since they started the day. And of course, you, you know how to apply this, right? You know the point. You can look at it from two perspectives. On the one hand, you can think of this as being the sort of grumbling that was happening with the religious elite among Judaism at the time, as Jesus is making way for people that seem to have no business being at the vineyard. And you can think of them being upset about that reality. Or you can think about the fact that, even still today, one of the great complaints against Christian theology is that, yes, we believe in things like a thief on the cross who is justifiably getting punished for his sins. He even says to himself, but at the last minute, looks over to Jesus, who also is hanging on a cross, and simply please remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus remarkably says, you will be with me in paradise. That doesn't seem fair. That the thief on the cross is going to be given the same place, eternal life with God. He's not going to die forever. He's going to be given eternal life. As just as much as the same as the person who was baptized on the eighth day and has lived 75 years faithfully? Yes. Yes. That is the message of Christianity. That's the scandal of the gospel. Or simply one of them. And yet it's not unfair. As the owner of the vineyard will point out, what did I tell you in your contract I was going to pay you? Well, you said a denarius. Did I give you a denarius? Yes. Well, then shoo. I gave you what I told you I'd give you. I have every right to give them what I want to give them. Or do you begrudge my generosity? Ah, that's the deal. That's what well, I'm telling you. Whenever you start thinking in terms of like, well, I don't know. I, I mean, you think really that person could get into heaven? But I mean, I've been faithful for years. Ah, that's the that's the begrudging of generosity. It's so easy that you can creep up in the name of justice. I'm allowed to do what I choose with what I have. God says. Well. We saw a perfect example of this sort of complaint about God's grace the other day. I follow every once in a while this page on Twitter called Atheists Memes 
but unironically. And what it is, is literally just what it says. It is memes that are posted by atheists about religion. Typically, they're obviously pretty upset about religion. And usually, most of the time, upset about Christianity. And one of the memes I saw the other day had a guy named David Berkowitz on it, holding a Bible. In case you don't know who David Berkowitz is. Well, listen to what it said on the meme. My name is David Berkowitz. I was the most feared man in New York City in the 70s. Known as Son of Sam, I was the serial killer that murdered six people and wounded ten others. Now in prison for life, I found the love of Jesus. And then it says underneath it in big block letters, Guess who's going to heaven? And I say, yes. The scriptures say, yes, that's possible. I don't know the heart of David Berkowitz. Only God knows. But is it possible that, yes, a man who could have done terrible things like that will be saved on the last day simply through faith in the blood of Christ spilled for them? Yes. That is what Christianity is teaching. It's teaching that the vineyard is owned by a man, by a God, that is willing to give the same wage whether you come in at the last second or whether you've been with him faithfully your whole life, no matter what you've done in between. That's how the business of God's kingdom operates. And I've got to tell you, I thank him for it. I thank him for it. Because it's easy for me to kind of understand where that meme is coming from. And I understand the skepticism of it. I get it. But I also understand what it's like to see somebody who had basically waited until the last hour to come to the vineyard. Indeed, come to the vineyard. My grandfather, for 80 plus years, didn't just avoid the vineyard, but tried to run over the vineyard. He didn't want anything to do with the vineyard owner. But in his last hour, he was recruited. And I remember being able to minister the body and blood of Christ, as we'll share together in just a minute here, to my grandfather in his last dying days. I praise God for the vineyard owner that gives the same award for those that start early and for those that start late. And that's the reason any of us sitting here tonight can have hope as well. We don't begrudge his generosity. We praise him for it. You bow with me for a word of prayer. Father, thank you that you don't write off the workers that have been too idle. That you don't ignore those who have been standing around. But that you pursue them over and over and over again. Thank you that you pursued us. Even now, Father, we think of what you have brought before us tonight. 
The very body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, is here on this table for us to partake of. And what is promised? What is promised to us that comes with it? The very forgiveness of, of sins. So, Father, prepare our hearts to receive now what your word has declared is present. Now, Father, we pray the prayer that our Savior gave us with one voice saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.